Section 13 of Heroines Every Child Should Know. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Heroines Every Child Should Know, edited by Hamilton Wright Maybee and Kate Stevens. Chapter 10 Madame Roland. Part one. In the year 1754, there was living in an obscure workshop in Paris an engraver by the name of Gratian Flippon. He had married a very beautiful woman whose placid temperament and cheerful content contrasted strikingly with the restlessness of her husband. The comfortable yet humble apartments of the engraver were over the shop where he plied his daily toil he was much dissatisfied with his lowly condition of life and that his family in the enjoyment of frugal competence alone were debarred from those luxuries which were profusely showered upon others bitterly and unceasingly he murmured that his lot had been cast in the ranks of obscurity and of unsurpassing labor while others by a more fortunate although no better merited destiny were born to ease and affluence and honor and luxury flippon was a philosopher submission was a virtue he had never learned and never wished to learn madame flippon was just the reverse of her husband she was a woman in whom faith and trust and submission predominated she surrendered her will without questioning to all the teachings of the church she was placid contented and cheerful and undoubtedly sincere in her piety in every event of life she recognized the overruling hand of providence and feeling that the comparatively humble lot assigned her was in accordance with the will of god she indulged in no repinings of eight children born to these parents only one jeanne manon or jane mary survived the hour of birth her father first received her to his arms in seventeen fifty four and she became the object of his painful and most passionate adoration both parents lived in her and for her she was their earthly all even in her infantile years she gave indication of a most brilliant intellect and her father repined that she should be doomed to a life of obscurity and toil while the garden of the tuileries and the elysian fields were thronged with children neither so beautiful nor so intelligent who were reveling in boundless wealth and living in a world of luxury and splendor which to flippon's imagination seemed more alluring than any idea he could form of heaven by nature jane was endowed with a soul of unusual delicacy from early childhood all that is beautiful or sublime in nature in literature in character had charms to rivet her entranced attention she loved to sit alone at her chamber window in the evening of a summer's day to gaze upon the gorgeous hues of sunset books of poetry and descriptions of heroic character and achievements were her especial delight plutarch's lives that book which more than any others appears to be the incentive of early genius was hid beneath her pillow and read and re-read those illustrious heroes of antiquity became the companions of her solitude and of her hourly thoughts she adored them and loved them as her own most intimate personal friends her character became insensibly molded to their forms and she was inspired with restless enthusiasm to imitate their deeds 
when but twelve years of age her father found her one day weeping that she was not born a roman maiden it was perhaps the absence of playmates and the habitual converse with mature minds which at so early an age inspired jane with that insatiate thirst for knowledge which she ever manifested books were her only resource in every unoccupied hour from her walks with her father and her domestic employments with her mother she turned to her little library and to her chamber window and lost herself in the limitless realms of thought in a bright summer's afternoon she might be seen sauntering along the boulevards led by her father's hand gazing upon that scene of gaiety with which the eye is never wearied a gilded coach drawn by the most beautiful horses in the richest trappings sweeps along the streets a gorgeous vision flippon takes his little daughter in his arms to show her the sight and as she gazes in infantile wonder and delight the discontented father says look at that lord and lady and child lolling so voluptuously in their coach they have no right there why must i and my child walk on this hot pavement while they repose on velvet cushions and revel in all luxury a time will come when the people will awake to the consciousness of their wrongs and their tyrants will tremble before them End quote. he continues his walk in moody silence brooding over his sense of injustice they return to their home jane wishes that her father kept a carriage and liveried servants and outriders she thinks of politics and of the tyranny of kings and nobles and of the unjust inequalities of man she retires to the solitude of her loved chamber window and reads of aristides the just of themistocles with his spartan virtues of brutus and of the mother of the gracchi greece and rome rise before her in all their ancient renown she despises the frivolity of paris and her youthful bosom throbs with the desire of being noble in spirit and of achieving great exploits thus when other children of her age were playing with their dolls she was dreaming of the prostration of nobles and of the overthrow of thrones the education of young ladies at that time in france was conducted almost exclusively by nuns in convents the idea of the silence and solitude of the cloister inspired the highly imaginative girl her mother's spirit of religion was exerting a powerful influence over her and one evening she fell at her mother's feet and bursting into tears besought that she might be sent to a convent to prepare to receive her first christian communion in a suitable frame of mind the convent of the sisterhood of the congregation in paris was selected for jane she subsequently wrote quote, while pressing my dear mother in my arms at the moment of parting with her for the first time in my life i thought my heart would break but i was acting in obedience to the voice of god and i passed the threshold of the cloister tearfully offering up to him the greatest sacrifice i was capable of making this was on the seventh of may seventeen sixty five when i was eleven years and two months old the first night i spent in the convent was a night of agitation i was no longer under the paternal roof i was at a distance from that kind mother who was doubtless thinking of me with affectionate emotion a dim light diffused through the room in which i had been put to bed with four children of my own age i stole softly from the couch and drew near the window the light of the moon enabling me to distinguish the garden which it overlooked 
the deepest silence prevailed around and i listened to it if i may use the expression with a sort of respect lofty trees cast their gigantic shadows along the ground and promised a secure asylum to meditation i lifted up my eyes to the heavens they were unclouded and serene i imagined that i felt the presence of the deity smiling upon my sacrifice and already offering me a reward in the hope of a celestial abode tears of delight flowed down my cheeks i repeated my vows with holy ecstasy and went to bed again to taste the slumber of god's chosen children two years after this she was taken to pass a week at the luxurious abodes of maria antoinette versailles was in itself a city of palaces and of courtiers where all that could dazzle the eye in regal pomp and voluptuousness was concentrated most girls of her age would have been enchanted and bewildered by this display jane was permitted to witness and partially to share all the pomp of luxuriously spread tables and presentations and court balls and illuminations and the gilded equipages of ambassadors and princes but this maiden just emerging from the period of childhood and the seclusion of the cloister undazzled by all this brilliance looked sadly on the scene the servility of the courtiers excited her contempt she contrasted the boundless profusion and extravagance which filled these palaces with the absence of comfort in the dwellings of the overtaxed poor and pondered deeply the value of that despotism which starved the millions to pander to the dissolute indulgence of the few her personal pride was also severely stung by perceiving that her own attractions mental and physical were entirely overlooked by the crowds which were bowing before power disgusted with the frivolity of the living she sought solace and companionship with the illustrious dead she chose the gardens for her resort and lingered around the statues which embellished scenes of almost fairy enchantment how do you enjoy your visit my daughter inquired the mother i shall be glad when it is ended was the characteristic reply else in a few more days i shall so detest all the persons i see that i shall not know what to do with my hatred why what harm have these persons done you my child they make me feel injustice and look upon absurdity replied this philosopher of thirteen soon after this jane entered her fourteenth year and her mother conscious of the importance to her child of a knowledge of domestic duties took her to the market to obtain meat and vegetables and occasionally placed upon her the responsibility of the family purchases the unaffected dignity with which the imaginative girl yielded herself to these most prosaic avocations was such that when she entered the market the fruit women hastened to serve her it is quite remarkable that jane apparently never turned with repugnance from these humble avocations of domestic life it speaks most highly in behalf of the sound judgment of her mother that she was enabled thus successfully to allure her daughter from the realms of romance to those unattractive practical duties which our daily necessities demand at one hour this ardent maiden might have been seen in her little chamber absorbed in studies of deepest research the highest themes which can elevate the mind of man claimed her delighted reveries the next hour she might be seen in the kitchen under the guidance of her mother receiving from her judicious lips lessons upon frugality and industry and economy 
the white apron was bound around her waist and her hands which but a few moments before were busy with the circles of the celestial globe were now occupied in preparing vegetables for dinner there was thus united in the character of jane the appreciation of all that is beautiful and sublime in the world of fact and the world of imagination and also domestic skill and practical common sense she was thus prepared to fascinate by the graces of a refined and polished mind and to create for herself in the midst of all vicissitudes a region of loveliness in which her spirit could ever dwell and at the same time she possessed that sagacity and tact and those habits of usefulness which prepared her to meet calmly all the changes of fortune and over them all to triumph with that self-appreciation which with her was frankness rather than vanity she subsequently writes quote, this mixture of serious studies agreeable relaxations and domestic cares was rendered pleasant by my mother's good management and fitted me for everything it seemed to forebode the vicissitudes of future life and enabled me to bear them in every place i am at home i can prepare my own dinner with as much address as philippiomen cut wood but no one seeing me thus engaged would think it an office in which I ought to be employed. End quote. As years passed on, through the friendship of a family of noble rank, Jane was often introduced to the great world. The family became much interested in the fascinating young lady, and her brilliant talents and accomplishments secured her invitations to many social interviews this slight acquaintance with the nobility of france did not however elevate them in her esteem she found the conversation of the old marquises and antiquated dowagers who frequented the salon of madame de boismorel more insipid and illiterate than that of the tradespeople who visited her father's shop and upon whom these nobles looked down with contempt jane was also disgusted with the many indications she saw not only of indolence but of dissipation and utter want of principle her good sense enabled her to move among these people as a studious observer of human race neither adopting their custom nor imitating their manners she was very unostentatious and simple in her dress and never in the slightest degree affected the mannerism of mindless and artless fashion madame de boismorel at one time eulogizing her tastes in these respects remarked you do not love feathers do you miss flippant how very different you are from the giddy-headed girls around us i never wear feathers jane replied because i do not think that they would correspond with the condition in life of an artist's daughter who is going about on foot but were you in a different situation in life would you then wear feathers i do not know what i should do in that case i attach very slight importance to such trifles i merely consider what is suitable for myself and should be very sorry to judge of others by the superficial information afforded by their dress monsieur flippant now began to advance rapidly in a career of dissipation jane did everything in her power to lure him to love his home all her efforts were unavailing her situation was now painful in the extreme her mother who had been the guardian angel of her life was sleeping in the grave the father was daily becoming more neglectful and unkind to his daughter under these circumstances jane by the advice of friends had resort to a legal process by which there was secured to her from the wreck of her mother's fortune an annual income of about one hundred dollars 
in these gloomy hours which clouded the morning of her day jane found an unfailing resource and solace in her love of literature with pen in hand extracting beautiful passages and expanding suggested thoughts she forgot her griefs and beguiled many hours which would otherwise have been burdened with wretchedness marie antoinette woe-worn and weary in tones of despair uttered the exclamation quote, oh what a resource amid the casualties of life must there be in a highly cultivated mind End quote. The maiden could utter the same exclamation in accents of joy. When Jane was in the convent, she became acquainted with a young lady from Amiens, Sophia Canet. They formed for each other a strong attachment and commenced a correspondence which continued for many years. There was a gentleman in Amiens by the name of Roland de Platier, born of an opulent family and holding the quite important office of inspector of manufactures his time was mainly occupied in traveling and study being deeply interested in all subjects relating to political economy he had devoted much attention to that science and had written several treatises upon commerce mechanics and agriculture which had given him in the literary and scientific world no little celebrity he frequently visited the father of sophia she often spoke to him of her friend jane showed him her portrait and read to him extracts from her glowing letters the calm philosopher became very much interested in the enthusiastic maiden and entreated sophia to give him a letter of introduction to her upon one of his annual visits to paris sophia had also often written to jane of her father's friend whom she regarded with so much reverence jane the enthusiastic romantic jane saw in the serene philosopher one of the sages of antiquity and almost literally bowed and worshipped all the sentiments of monsieur roland were in accordance with the most cherished emotions which glowed in her mind she found what she had ever been seeking but had never found before a truly sympathetic soul she looked up to monsieur roland as to a superior being to an oracle by whose decisions she could judge whether her own opinions were right or wrong it is true that monsieur roland never entered those airy realms of beauty and regions of romance where jane loved at times to revel and perhaps jane venerated him still more for his more stern and unimaginative philosophy but his meditative wisdom his abstraction from the frivolous pursuits of life his high ambition his elevated pleasures his consciousness of superiority over the mass of his fellow-men and his sleepless desire to be a benefactor of humanity were all traits of character which resistlessly attracted the admiration of jane she adored him as a disciple adores his master she listened eagerly to all his words and loved communion with his thoughts monsieur roland was by no means insensitive to this homage and he was charmed with her society because she was so delighted with his own conversation several years after their acquaintance began monsieur roland made an avowal of his attachment jane knew very well the pride of the roland family and that her worldly circumstances were such that the connection would not seem an advantageous one she also was too proud to enter into a family who might feel dishonored by the alliance she therefore frankly told him that she felt much honored by his address and that she esteemed him more highly than any other man she had met her father was a ruined man however and by his increasing debts and his errors 
still deeper disgrace might be entailed upon all connected with him and she could not think of allowing monsieur roland to make his generosity to her a source of future mortification to himself the more she manifested this elevation of soul in which jane was perfectly sincere the more earnestly did monsieur roland persist in his plea at last jane influenced by his entreaties consented that he should make proposals to her father he wrote to monsieur flippant in reply he received an insulting letter containing a blunt refusal monsieur flippant declared that he had no idea of having for a son-in-law a man of such rigid principles who would ever be reproaching him for all his little errors he also told his daughter that she would find in a man of such austere virtue not a companion and an equal but a tyrant jane laid this refusal of her father deeply to heart and resolved that if she should not marry the man of her choice she would marry no one else she wrote to monsieur roland requesting him to abandon his design and not to expose himself to any further affronts she then requested permission of her father to retire to the convent the scanty income she had saved from her mother's property rendered it necessary for her to live with the utmost frugality she determined to regulate her expenses in accordance with this small sum potatoes rice and beans with a little salt and occasionally the luxury of a little butter were her only food she allowed herself to leave the convent but twice a week once to call for an hour upon a relative and once to visit her father and look after his linen she had a little room under the roof in the attic where the pattering of the rain upon the tiles soothed and lulled her to sleep by night she carefully secluded herself from association with the other inmates of the convent receiving only a visit of an hour each evening from the much-loved sister agatha her time she devoted with unremitting diligence to those literary avocations in which she found so much delight the quiet and seclusion of this life had many charms for jane indeed a person with such resource for enjoyment within herself could never be very weary several months thus glided away in tranquillity she occasionally walked in the garden at hours when no one else was there the resignation which she had so long cultivated the peaceful conscience she enjoyed in view of duty performed the elevation of spirit which enabled her to rise superior to misfortune the methodical arrangement of time which assigned to each hour its appropriate duty the habit of close application which riveted her attention to her studies the highly cultivated taste and buoyantly winged imagination which opened before her all the fairy realms of fancy were treasures which gilded her cell and enriched her heart in the course of five or six months monsieur roland again visited paris and called at the convent to see jane he saw her pale and pensive face behind the grating and the sight of one who had suffered so much from her faithful love for him and the sound of her voice which ever possessed a peculiar charm revived in his mind those impressions which had been somewhat fading away he again renewed his offer and entreated her to allow the marriage ceremony at once to be performed jane without much delay yielded to his appeals they were married in the winter of seventeen eighty jane was then twenty-five years of age her husband was twenty years her senior the first year of their marriage life they passed in paris it was to madame roland a year of great enjoyment 
her husband was publishing a work upon the arts and she with all the energy of her enthusiastic mind entered into all his literary enterprises with great care and accuracy she prepared his manuscripts for the press and corrected the proofs she lived in the study with him became the companion of all his thoughts and his assistant in all labors the only recreations in which she indulged during the winter were to attend a course of lectures upon natural history and botany monsieur roland had hired ready furnished lodgings she well instructed by her mother in domestic duties observing that all kinds of cooking did not agree with him took pleasure in preparing his food with her own hands her husband engrossed her whole time and being naturally rather austere and imperious he secluded her from the society of others and monopolized all her capabilities of friendly feeling at the close of the year the couple went to amiens and soon after was born a daughter her only child whom she nurtured with the most assiduous care her literary labors were however unremitted and she still lived in the study with her books and her pen monsieur roland was writing several articles for an encyclopedia she aided most efficiently in collecting the materials and arranging the matter indeed she wielded a far more vigorous pen than he did her copiousness of language her facility of expression and the play of her fancy gave her the command of a very fascinating style and monsieur roland obtained the credit for many passages rich in diction and beautiful in imagery for which he was indebted to the glowing imagination of his wife frequent sickness of her husband alarmed her for his life the tenderness with which she watched over him strengthened the tie which united them he could not but love a young and beautiful wife so devoted to him she could not but love one upon whom she was conferring such rich blessings their little daughter eudora was a source of great delight to the fond parents and madame roland took the deepest interest in the developments of her mind the office of monsieur roland was highly lucrative and his literary projects successful they remained in amiens four years later they retired to la platiere a paternal estate of monsieur roland situated at the base of the mountains near lyon in the valley of the sionne it is a region solitary and wild with rivulets meandering down from the mountains fringed with willows and poplars and threading their way through narrow yet smooth and fertile meadows luxuriant with vineyards a large square stone house with regular windows and a roof nearly flat of red tiles constituted the comfortable spacious and substantial mansion her mode of life during the five calm and sunny years at la platiere must have been exceedingly attractive she rose with the sun devoted sundry attentions to her husband and child and personally superintended the arrangements for breakfast taking an affectionate pleasure in preparing her husband's frugal food with her own hands that social meal being passed monsieur roland entered the library for his intellectual toil taking with him for his silent companion the idolized little eudora she amused herself with her pencil or reading or other studies which her father and mother superintended madame roland in the meantime devoted herself with most systematic energy to her domestic concerns she was a perfect housekeeper and each morning all the interests of her family from the cellar to the garret passed under her eye she superintended the preservation of the fruit the sorting of the linen and those other details of domestic life which engrossed the attention of a good housewife 
the systematic division of time which seemed to be an instinctive principle of her nature enabled her to accomplish all this in two hours she had faithful and devoted servants to do the work the superintendence was all that was required this genius to superintend and be the head while others contribute the hands is not the most common of human endowments madame roland having thus attended to her domestic concerns laid aside those cares for the remainder of the day and entered the study to join her husband in his labors there at the close of the literary labors of the morning madame roland met her guests at the dinner-table the labor of the day was then over the repast was prolonged with social converse after dinner they walked in the garden sauntered through the vineyard and looked at the innumerable objects of interest which are ever to be found in the yard of a spacious farm madame roland frequently retired to the library to write letters to her friends or to superintend the lessons of eudora occasionally of a fine day she would walk for several miles calling at the cottages of the peasantry whom she greatly endeared to her by her unvarying kindness in the evening after tea they again resorted to the library guests of distinguished name and influence were frequently with them and the hours glided swiftly cheered by the brilliance of philosophy and genius the journals of the day were read madame roland being usually called upon as reader when not thus reading she usually sat at her work-table employing her fingers with her needle while she took part in the conversation this kind of life says madame roland would be very austere were not my husband a man of great merit whom i love with my whole heart i congratulate myself on enjoying it and i exert my best endeavors to make it last again she draws the captivating picture of rural pleasures Quote, i am preserving pears which will be delicious we are drying raisins and prunes we overlook the servants busy in the vineyard repose in the shady groves and on the green meadows gather walnuts from the trees and having collected our stock of fruit for the winter spread it to dry after breakfast this morning we are all going in a body to gather almonds throw off then dear friend your fetters for a while and come and join us in our retreat you will find here true friendship and real simplicity of heart madame roland was thus living at la platiere in the enjoyment of all this world can give of peace and happiness when the first portentous mutterings of the french revolution fell upon her ears she eagerly caught the sounds and believing them the precursor of blessings rejoiced in the assurance that the hour was approaching when long oppressed humanity would reassert its rights and achieve its triumph little did she dream of the woes which in surging billows were to roll over her country and which were to engulf her and all whom she loved in their tide her faith in human nature was so strong that she could foresee no obstacles and no dangers in the way of immediate disenfranchisement from all laws and usages which her judgment disapproved her whole soul was aroused and she devoted all her affections and every energy of her mind to the welfare of the human race louis the sixteenth and marie antoinette had but recently inherited the throne of the bourbons louis was benevolent but destitute of the decision of character requisite to hold the reins of government in a stormy period 
marie antoinette had neither culture of mind nor knowledge of the world she was an amiable but spoiled child with native nobleness of character but with those defects which are the natural consequence of the frivolous education she had received she thought never of duty and responsibility always and only of pleasure it was her misfortune rather than her fault that the idea never entered her mind that kings and queens had aught else to do than to indulge in luxury it would be hardly possible to conceive of two characters less qualified to occupy the throne in stormy times than were louis and maria the people were slowly but with resistless power rising against the abuses of the aristocracy and the monarchy louis a man of unblemished kindness was made the scapegoat for the sins of oppressive profligate princes who for centuries had trodden with iron hoofs upon the necks of their subjects the accumulated hate of ages was poured upon his head the national assembly consisted of the nobility the higher clergy and representatives chosen by the people from all parts of france monsieur roland who was quite an idol with the populace of lyons and its vicinity was chosen representative to the assembly from the city of lyons in that busy city the revolutionary movement had begun with great power and the name of roland was the rallying point of the people now struggling to escape from oppression monsieur roland spent some time in the city drawn thither by the intense interest of the times and in the salon of madame roland meetings were every evening held by the most influential men of the revolutionary party her ardor stimulated their zeal and her well-stored mind and fascinating eloquence guided their counsels in this rising conflict between plebeian and patrician between democrat and aristocrat the position in which monsieur roland and wife were placed as most conspicuous and influential members of the revolutionary party arrayed against them with daily increasing animosity the aristocratic community of lyons each day their names were pronounced by the advocates of reform with more enthusiasm and by their opponents with deepening hostility the applause and the censure alike invigorated madame roland and her whole soul became absorbed in the idea of popular liberty this object became her passion and she devoted herself to it with the concentration of every energy of mind and heart on the twentieth of february seventeen ninety one madame roland accompanied her husband to paris as he took his seat in the national assembly her persuasive influence was dictating those measures which were driving the ancient nobility of france from their chateau and her vigorous mind was guiding those blows before which the throne of the bourbons trembled the unblemished and incorruptible integrity of monsieur roland his simplicity of manners and ability invested him immediately with much authority among his associates the brilliance of his wife also reflected much lustre upon his name madame roland with her growing zeal had just written a pamphlet upon the new order of things in language so powerful and impressive that more than sixty thousand copies had been sold an enormous number considering the comparative few of readers at that time she of course was received with the most flattering attention and great deference was paid to her opinions she attended daily the sittings of the assembly and listened with the deepest interest to the debates 
all her tastes were with the ancient nobility and their defenders all her principles were with the people and as she contrasted the unrefined exterior and clumsy speech of the democratic leaders with the courtly bearing and elegant diction of those who rallied around the throne she was aroused to a more vehement desire for the elevation of those with whom she had cast in her lot the conflict with the nobles was of short continuance the energy of rising democracy soon vanquished them the most moderate party was called the girondist it was so called because their most prominent leaders were from the department of the gironde they would deprive the king of many of his prerogatives but not of his crown they would take from him his despotic power but not his life they would raise the mass of the people to the enjoyment of liberty but to liberty controlled by vigorous law opposed to them were the jacobins far more radical in their reform they would break down all privileged orders confiscate the property of the nobles and place prince and beggar on the footing of equality these were the two great parties into which revolutionary france was divided and the conflict between them was the most fierce and implacable earth has ever witnessed mr roland and wife gathered around them every evening many of the most influential members of the assembly they attached themselves with all their zeal and energy to the girondists four evenings of every week the leaders of this party met in the salon of madame roland to deliberate respecting their measures the powerful influence which madame roland was thus exerting could not be concealed she appeared to have no ambition for personal renown she sought only to elevate the position and expand the celebrity of her husband it was whispered from ear to ear and now and then openly asserted in the assembly that the bold and decisive measures of the girondists received their impulse from the lovely wife of monsieur roland she also furnished many very able articles for a widely circulated journal established by the girondists for the advocacy of their political views end of section thirteen madame roland part one